This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center broadcasting live here from the um, heart of Silicon Beach in Santa Monica. Um, Please be seated. Um, We've had a lot of excitement in the the sports world the the last few days um, with the uh, NBA Finals and Stanley Cup. And then it seemed like the political world felt left out and wanted to play catch up, too. I don't know if any of you watched last night, but uh, over 100,000 Americans watched via online stream the dramatic filibuster that occurred during the waning hours of Texas's special legislative session in which uh, over the fight over a, a, a law that would effectively stop all abortions in um, Texas. And, um, and it had an audience of over 100,000 by streaming media. And then today we have the um, landmark Supreme Court decisions. And again, that's being reported first by Twitter. Um, so definitely it's an interesting time, um, what's going on news-wise and the internet's playing a role in it. But, um, and today is already a day loaded with history. Um, just want to make note that 65 years ago today, President Truman told his, um, had told his planners to make the impossible possible. And they launched the most daring airlift in history that allowed Berlin to survive a Soviet blockade. Um, at one point, they were landing a plane in Berlin at one every minute. Um, an incredible feat, even today. And um, in addition, um, just um, 50 years ago today, um, just two years after the wall went up, President Kennedy said the words that um, have been echoed throughout history um, and were the, the, the coda of a free man during the Cold War, Ich ein ein Berliner. And it's only an urban myth that he said, I am a jelly donut. But um, any event, um, so these, it's quite a historic day to begin with. But um, today we're really going to be talking about the future, actually. We have one of the nation's hotspots for innovation, Silicon Beach, right where we are. And we have with us one of the, um, the best chroniclers of what's going on in Silicon Beach, Forum columnist, um, Forbes columnist Lori Koslowski. And Lori has um, been um, writing a column with Forbes, and she's also been on staff at Entrepreneur Magazine, worked with MIT Media Lab startups, and has served as an adjunct faculty at Chapman University. She has an MFA from USC and um, is a native Nevadan. Um, Lori, are you with us? Yes. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And um, Lori actually, um, she participated in both the first and second Silicon Beach Fest, which is um, the second one just finished last weekend. And um, she was a moderator of one of the panels. But I remember um, seeing you uh, two years ago when you were actually talking about, you know, this whole notion of is Silicon Beach for real? And um, from your recent columns, I guess the answer is yes. Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, you can look back on what we saw in 2012 versus now in 2013. And I think that early, um, probably the first half of 2011, people were kind of like, what is this going to be? You know, what are all these new incubators and accelerators? And there were lots of new startup founders. Um, in 2012, you saw that growth accelerate through the incubators and accelerators. And 
now here in 2013, it seems to be a real tech region. Um, and kind of what we've seen is startups now are having to kind of prove themselves. Um, there's a bit of a cash crunch, and people are being tested as to whether they actually have sustainable business models or not. So in some ways, we're seeing who's really going to thrive in the future, and maybe some of those that were sort of fads will sort of fall away. But, um, you know, if you know the startup game, it's all a, it's all a gamble. <laughs> Legalized gambling. But you, you said it's a cash crunch. Is, is that due to any um, external macroeconomic factor or is that just um, you know, more or less investors saying, okay, um, show, me, show me what you got? Um, maybe it's a little both. You know, I think it's pretty widely known amongst startups, VCs, and the accelerators that essentially there's not a lot of Series A money and beyond in LA. There's some and there are um, more VCs trying to get um, more money pumped into these startups, but a lot of capital is still being drawn in from other regions, particularly Silicon Valley, some from Chicago, some from New York. Um, so it would be great to see more capital attracted to the region, which is really needed to really cement this place as um, a technology center in the nation. Well, why why is that? Because it seems that in the 80s, the um, the banking hub of the state shifted from San Francisco to um, Los Angeles. So why, why hasn't the venture capital um, shifted as well? You know, I think it, it, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, you see in the Valley, and it's commonly known that the Valley has a lot of old technology companies. And what happened was, you know, you see things like Intel or even at Google, which is a little bit younger, um, they cemented there in the Valley very early on, and a lot of those folks leave to start other companies. So it naturally starts this kind of ripple effect of other people leaving to start more successful companies, and the whole thing just kind of snowballs from there. So naturally, the venture capital community is going to want to stay around all of that activity of all those successful companies. And I think um, right now comparisons are a little unfair because, you know, Silicon Valley is so far ahead and so cemented in a different way than L.A. is. But L.A. is starting to see its beginning roots, and you can see the beginnings of something just really special here. Um, you know, clearly the creative community plays a role, and it's pretty awesome to watch people just go for it and really try to attack different problems that could possibly either solve um, problems that we have within the Internet itself or solve real-world problems for customers. And um, in terms of you know, what's driving it here, um, you know, one, obviously, there's, there's a market factor, it seems, in that um, or technological market factor in, in the, the shift in platforms to, you know, open platforms you know, and heavy emphasis on mobile platforms. And then the combination of technology entertainment. Is that a, is, do you see that here? Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of convergence of Hollywood and tech, that's really um, something everybody wants to master. Um, you, you see the beginnings of some of those deals happening with um, a startup like Awesomeness TV, which recently sold to DreamWorks, which is kind of the first of kind of this multi-channel network selling itself to a, a very large studio. So there, right there you see the beginning of technology and entertainment working together. And lots of people want to achieve that nice goal because Hollywood could really benefit from new technology and certainly these startups would benefit from bigger partners. So if there's a place for a convergence economy, um, this is definitely the place. This is the place to be. It sounds like now. Um, in in terms of um, the, you know what you're seeing emerge, are there any trends in terms of who's breaking out, or it's just it's kind of just a hodgepodge of just you know innovators um, who who come up at the right time. Um, you know, we're seeing a trend, and we're naturally going to see a trend that's actually trending all over the nation. In, in mobile, mobile's really hot. You know, we saw in Mary Meeker's Internet Desk that. You know, the growth of mobile is going to be exponential over the next few years. So everybody wants to wrap their arms around that, whether it's mobile advertising, whether it's, um, you know, mobile as a service in terms of e-commerce or something like this. Um, you see a lot of in L.A., which speaks to what we were saying earlier about convergence of tech in Hollywood, of these multi-channel and multi-platform networks where you have a maker studios or a Zephyr, 
um, doing very well or machinima, and they're very interested in how they can take something that was built on top of YouTube and um, push content out. So that would be Maker and Machinima, and Zephyr does something a little different. They um, they created backend technology for YouTube to tag clips that fans put on YouTube. So instead of big studios looking at that as piracy, um, the studios then can have an ad on those clips. The fans get to keep, keep their clips, and the studios are happy because they get they gain revenue from it. So Zephyr's done an excellent job of really reaching out to those Hollywood big studio partners. And, you know, some of the name of the game is just being a good partner and wanting to reach across the table and, and make that work. So you'll see more of that, I think. Um, I've seen a lot of e-commerce, um, which it seems like um, th- there's just so much of it that's going to be interesting to see what kind of stands out as, as truly something that's going to stick around. Um, but you've got all kinds of sectors like games is becoming very popular here. Uh, just wrote about that. And you even, I don't know if you would call him a startup, but Elon Musk is right in our backyard with Tesla and SpaceX. So there's definitely, um, you know, a bar that's been set for what success looks like, I think. Now, when um, when people ask you, you know, what companies have, have really kind of grabbed your attention, what do you usually tell them? Well, um, I have a lot. I have a lot of interest. So I really like mobile. So I, I really gravitate to companies that are trying to do something interesting in mobile. I love the company Chromatic, which is looking at technology for music education and trying to help both students and the professionals learn music education in a better way. Um, I really, I really am interested in companies that are trying to change the internet in some way and. You can see that through two companies. One is called Factual, which would essentially put a data layer on top of the Internet, and a company called Gravity, which is essentially trying to achieve robotic Internet, wherein when you go to a website, it responds to the content that you like and serves you more of that content. So you see companies like this really trying something groundbreaking, and you can't have anything but respect for that. Um, the multi-channel networks are interesting. I, I just wrote about SGN, which is um, the founders of MySpace created a new games company. They're doing very well. So I think that um, across the board, it's interesting to see how people not only came up with their idea, but how they te- attack the business problem and how they kind of create their strategy. And that's very fascinating because it's much more difficult to create a sustainable business than people think that it is. I think. Oh, entirely. I mean, I mean, I don't know what the statistic is. I mean, there are a lot of you know, a lot of um, things thrown out there, but I mean, I hear anywhere from seventy-five to eighty-five percent of startups fail to begin with, and and so uh, we're talking about a very small percentage that will succeed, and none of those um, a very you know small percentage that will you know break out and become huge. And um, so, yeah, I mean, for all the, um, you know, all the ones that you just talked about, I'm sure there's lots of duds. And uh, I seem to recall you talking about one of them um, at the Silicon Beach Fest two years ago, where there was some uh, adult company trying to mimic the Dollar Save Club um, uh, marketing campaign. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, you know, Trust me, for all the companies I just named that I really like and I've written about and I think are doing really smart things, I get about 60 to 70 pitches um, sometimes a day. It just depends on the day or the week. A very gimmicky kind of get-rich-quick type of things. And I really think the Internet has grown up and consumers expect a lot more. So, you know, you may see a breakout who on a, you know... As an anomaly, they had some something just, that just hit, and they, they do make it big. But for the most part, um, you know, building a sustainable business is the same as it ever was, and it's it's difficult. And I think that these sort of um, get rich quick schemes they don't they don't work very well, you know. Now, um, one thing, that, and I don't know how unique to LA this might be at all, if if at all. Is you do see a fair amount of social entrepreneurship here? You do. Um, in fact, there's a place downtown called the Hub that only focuses or mostly focuses on um, people, planets, as well as profit, and they are interested in social entrepreneurship. 
particularly through their new Media Lab, which seeks to help media makers, be it a filmmaker, a writer, or what have you, complete projects through a Media Lab where they can actually rent equipment that would actually be quite expensive. So um, you see this, you know, you see this coming up um, a little bit more quietly, but I've written about several companies that are focused on making making giving to charity better, um, making sure to take care of our local community, or even providing, I read last year about a, uh, a young lady who wishes to make education mobile through a mobile truck wants to teach um, young interested parties to code in areas where they may not receive, you know, college grants or they may not be able to mm-hmm. have access to easy technology education. So I think it's, it, there's a lot of social entrepreneurship in LA. I think it's there's a really young spirit to make the world better for lack of better words. Now you I mean, when you came to LA, LA, was it was it just it just happenstance that you you came here, or or did you seek this out um, because of uh, what was going on here? Oh no, I I love LA. I've been in LA for ten years. Um, I came here for graduate school. I stayed here. Um, I worked at the LA Times for several years and just really got to know the city in terms of what what it has to offer. And I think. For the rest of the nation, kind of outside looking in, it's it's kind of easy to write it off as like you know people surf all day and they just hang out, um, <laughs> and it definitely can give that impression. There's no doubt about that. But um, you know, you start to get to know different neighborhoods and different pockets of people, and it, it's fascinating, kind of the the creative genesis that happens here. And um, I, I think that's only been exacerbated by all this tech interest as well. So um, yeah, I, I feel like. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I, I feel like um, this new tech interest uh, was only one of the things that has interested me about L.A. Um, that was, seems to have taken hold about two, maybe a year, two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And um, I think that we're just going to see some really cool stuff come out of this city, particularly if the city government supports, um, hopefully in a financial way, supports the tech economy. Well, um, that's a good transition, and L.A. just elected uh, um, Eric Garcetti, who's a, a friend, and I'm glad to see he won. Um, but we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Laurie about um, the whole Silicon Beach and the Texpo Corridor and what that means under Mayor Garcetti after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G, digital.com. If you're constantly struggling to find more customers, revenue, or hours in the day, Infusionsoft can help you have the business you've always wanted. For over 10 years, Infusionsoft has been helping business owners just like you find the financial freedom and peace of mind you've been searching for. I'm Scott Martineau, co-founder of Infusionsoft. If you're struggling to find more customers, more revenue, or more hours in the day, Infusionsoft is the proven solution you're looking for. Infusionsoft, the only all-in-one sales and marketing software created specifically for small businesses. Learn more at www.infusionsoft.com slash radio. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is authoritylabs.com. 
Hello, this is Brad Geddes. On the next episode of Mark and Ravana, we'll be talking with David Satella about agencies. So you can learn how to price your agency, pitfalls to look out for, and how to grow your agency so that you have happy clients who stay around for a long time. Marketing Nirvana, presented by CertifiedKnowledge.org, Mondays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly, and we have Lori Kozlowski, the, the um, esteemed columnist of Forbes and great chronicler of Silicon Beach. And um, you know, Lori made a good point. And uh, you know, LA often does this dismissed as this kind of um, intellectually lightweight place. But um, you know, I was surprised to find that when they had the uh, um, LA Book Fair a few years ago. Um, that LA actually has the highest book readership rate of any major metropolitan city. Um, and actually it has tons of writers here. And so it actually is quite a, a creative and intellectual hotbed. It's just that, um, you see fast times <laughs> reach my high and that kind of sticks. But, um, now one, one thing that comes up, Lori, about Silicon Beach is the, um, is the issue of you know how much of it is just glitz and, and parties and how and how real is what's going on here and you know there's some some people are saying um, that we focus too much on the parties and and the flashed and then on the actual execution. Yeah, you know I've I've heard that criticism several times by several different parties recently, and I, I agree there is a good deal of hype in the community right now and I think people are just excited and coupled with that um, you know I'm not going to lie LA is classically very good at throwing a good party so <laughs> um, you know however um, the, the other side of that is there are very real sustainable businesses being built here you know about and I think what you'll see is that sort of the more prudent more focused Entrepreneurs are just going to end up sticking around and being more profitable in the long run. Yeah, I think if you look at um, Darwin's um, book of evolution, the, the last stage is um, um, homus um, partius. Um, and, uh, but um, in terms of uh, – <laughs> that one didn't work. I admit that. Um, yeah, you raised the point about you know, to what extent will the, the, um, the L.A. government get behind you know, what, what is happening here or even the California government get behind what's happening here. And you know, we had an interesting campaign here in L.A. where you had a, a young mayor who was very much associated with the tech community. You know, he, use, he uses mobile apps as – Harvest constituent service. Um, you know, he's um, he was driving an electric car even before anyone was driving a Prism. You know, a, a Prius, and um, so it, he's very much um, a proponent of what they call the textbook corridor, the subway line that kind of goes out to Silicon Beach. So, what impact do you think Eric Garcetti, the incoming mayor who gets sworn in on Sunday, might be on this um, Silicon Beach? Yeah, you know, I interviewed Eric once last year, actually at um, one of the Silicon Beach festivals this fall. And, you know, Eric really ingratiated himself to the tech community during his race for mayor. And a lot of the tech community really supported him. And they, they frankly, lots of people really loved him within the tech community. So I'm really hoping, you know, to see him really make good on those promises to support technology in L.A. Some of it has to do with infrastructure. I think some of it has to do with capital. Um, some of it actually may have to do with space um, in that it would, you know, because L.A. is so spread out, um, yes. I think sometimes people are looking for a center that they can go to. Um, you know, one thing that happened just recently, and certainly Eric is not, has not been sworn in that area yet, but just this week, um, you saw the startup car services, Uber, Lyft, and others, um, they received a cease and desist letter um, yes. They're not allowed to operate within Los Angeles. And, you know, I hope when he is officially mayor, he can turn that around because um, you see useful startups like that providing a service to people. And that's the kind of business that we actually need to support. So, you know, by doing things like that, by, you know, reaching out a hand to Uber, Lyft and other car services like that and letting them know, you know, it's totally fine to operate within our city would, would be helpful 
Um, similarly, I think supporting other startups that start to provide infrastructure and transportation type of services is going to be paramount, mostly because LA already has um, a traffic and a car problem. And so things yes. that add to solving <laughs> that solution would be good to, to get behind. Now, so you're, you're based here. And but are you um, looking at all at what might be the next um, Silicon Beach? You know, I mean, you hear stories about Austin or even like Chattanooga or elsewhere. Yeah, you know, um, based in LA, and yet I hear all the time uh, about Denver. There's stuff in Florida, DC, Boston, the Midwest, Utah, um, all over, and I think. Really, there's startup activity right now all over America, and the Atlantic has done a great job at following a lot of that. Um, I think it's due to the poor macroeconomic conditions that happened, the U.S. started to face in 2007 and 2008. And due to that, many people either being let go from big companies or kind of just deciding, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go in on my own and I'm going to believe in my ideas. And I do see a lot more Americans willing to take chances on themselves. So um, you also see this activity supported by Steve Case, AOL's founder, with his Startup America. So this, there's this growing encouragement for Americans to take chances on themselves, which is, you know, it, it's the classic American story. I've said that so many times that being an entrepreneur is the pick yourself up by your bootstraps, um, hire your friends, believe in your ideas, and make your own dreams come true. It, it really is the American story. Well, and it's also interesting how that you highlight, though, the, the fact that it is often born out of, you know, some kind of, I don't know if failure is a too strong a word, but some kind of um, bad event, you know, in this case, you know, the recession. And I mean, you know, there's the famous Mark Twain quote as to, you know, success isn't how far you know, you've reached, it's how far you've, you've, you've risen after you've been, you hit the bottom. And because um, in, in, inevitably, you know, your, your success will have to have some failure along the way. And so that's what you really measure it by. Absolutely. I think that, you know, so many of our institutions and things that we relied on, um, big banks, the music industry, the book industry, the newspaper industry, um, all of these industries are, are ripe for reinvention right now. And due to the problems that they've faced, um, it's almost like the sky's the limit started to get really creative. Now, what do you think of the, one of the innovations that we're seeing, and it's not just here, is the whole um, co-working space. And, uh, you know, I, I was speaking with um, Ron McElroy, you know, the, of Rock, who, um, who hosted I mean, much of the Silicon Beach events. And he made a comment. He said, you know, the office space as a market hadn't um, changed at all in a hundred years. It was, you know, basically you're getting the same package, this box that has walls and, you know, one desk and two chairs on the other side. And, um, and that, you know, what's happening now is kind of a, a reinvention of what that means. And they're including events and mentoring and all these other things and, um, and creating communities. And I think that's really a, 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 one of the, Best you know, it, and not only is it an innovation, but it's creating a hub for startups so that you know service providers now have a you know where to go. Yeah, absolutely. Places like the Rock, like Cross Campus, um, you see places like the Hub downtown. There's Amplify, there's Launchpad. Um, a lot of these places are really centered on. Uh, a sense of bringing the community around them together and providing yes. educational opportunities as well as, you know, you mentioned mentorship. And I think that, that that's sort of what is making this whole, whole thing go forward. It's not just, oh, well, we provided you some chairs and you have, you know, the lights are on, go. I think that would be much more difficult, but... Um, I'm really interested in the collective sense of community that's been in LA in the last year and a half. And you can, you can really feel it. I feel like you can walk into any one of those places and be welcomed, at least talk through what it is you want to do and what your ideas are, which I don't know that that, that happened in LA 10 years ago. This was not, this was not in, in existence. So it's great to see that really grow here. I, I definitely agree. And it was interesting. I was talking to him and I said that 
you know, to what extent are or is turnover at your location a metric of either success or failure of the startup community in 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 Silicon Beach? And he said neither, really, because you know, granted, yes, you're gonna have some drop off, but actually, a lot of the people that leave are success stories because they got funding and they're going someplace bigger. And and so it, it's interesting. You know, I'm trying to think of what what metric can come out of all this as a way to finding a, how do you find the proper barometer of the health of the of the community? I, I guess that maybe in the continued growth of these type of spaces might be it. Yeah, the continued growth of the spaces, and I think that people are waiting on um, successful exits. So. In, I think you'll see a shift from, you know, instead of how much money you took from VCs, it's kind of like how, you know, how is your profitability? What do your revenues look like? And in addition, people are waiting for those big exits. Who's going to get acquired? And, um, you know, what kind of partnerships can we form that actually become foundational to maybe the future of maybe Hollywood, maybe the future of mobile Maybe it's the future of transportation in Los Angeles. Maybe it's the future of clean tech. Um, one thing I didn't mention, there's quite a few clean tech and green tech companies also cropping up within Los Angeles in what's being called the clean tech corridor. And that's also really special because I do think in terms of the nation, the green economy is going to be um, something that we'll all benefit for, from, I hope, going forward. Well, I think so, and also you know, just historically, Los Angeles has a very much um, was a big industry town. I mean, it was, it was the aerospace community, and you know, the Jet Propulsion Lab, and um, so you know, we have the heavy duty technology community um, to do that, and so I think it's great. And also, SpaceX, I think, is located here as well. Yeah, SpaceX has made a huge impact. Uh, I wrote a story about this trifecta between what Virgin Galactic is doing um, kind of in L.A.'s backyard, what SpaceX is doing, as well as what JPL did with the Mars rover. And, you know, it seems like there is a lot of attention on how much further we can go in space happening right in Los Angeles. So, big ambition. Of course, and that's always been the case for L.A. But, um... Do you think L.A. will ever rival Silicon Valley? Um, There was some talk of that last year, and I think that it's not really – it won't be the same because I think Silicon Valley has its own special chemistry that makes it what it is. I think that you'll see L.A. be big in its own way given that Hollywood is here to stay and that's the center of everything, and given that – I think content is really king, and if anyone's going to master the content game, I, I hope that it's here in Los Angeles. So maybe more products and services that are consumer-facing and have more to do with content. Well, Lori, um, if, if people want to learn more about um, your, your writing and what you're up to, where should they go? You can go to my blog at Forbes, or you can also go to my website, which is www.lauriekozlowski.com. All right, well, I thank you very much for joining us. And um, Lori's our, our third Forbes um, columnist to join us, and you guys have been great to us so far, so we appreciate it. Um, but um, any parting thoughts? Where do you think Silicon Beach will be next year? I think you'll see, um, you know, hopefully you'll see some of the gimmicks and the fads fall away and to the the very positive, I think you'll see a lot more of these multi-channel networks become in greater partnership with Hollywood. I think you'll see a greater focus on content. I think you'll see some of, um, I think you'll see gaming get bigger. I think you'll see some of the more deep backend tech that's being built here get bigger, focused on big data. And I think uh, there will also be a focus more on mobile, just given where the internet is headed in general. So I hope that we can really make a dent in things. Well, understand. And today, the Internet Society just announced its inductees for the second class of the Internet Hall of Fame. And who knows, Lori, maybe some of the people you're covering now will be future inductees. But I want to thank you very much. Um, We're going to take a a short break. We'll be back after these messages. This is Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
Time now for another exciting episode of Ace of Analytics. Brought to you by AnalyticsSEO.com. In our last adventure, our hero was fending off his evil nemesis, Rhino the <laughs> Algorithm. That ruthless rhino has updated the algorithm again, and our website is falling down the rankings fast. Have no fear. Use our automated SEO tool to stay updated and to monitor your site with detailed reports. Or use our multi-site project management tool to manage all of your sites to stay on top. Take it from our fearless friend and be your own SEO hero with AnalyticsSEO.com. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. My name is Jim Gray, and I am a judge of the Superior Court in California. Did you know that since the federal government first banned marijuana in 1937, that usage in this country has gone up by about 4,000%? Or that an American is arrested on marijuana charges every 38 seconds? If you are wondering if any of this makes sense, you are not alone. To find out more, contact the Marijuana Policy Project at 1-877-JOIN-MPP or visit them on the web at mpp.org. WebmasterRadio.fm has compressed thousands of podcasts and all of our radio shows into the ultimate Internet marketer's knowledge base. Introducing the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, absolutely free and now available for iPhone and Android users. Listen to our live broadcast at the push of a button or access our complete archive of shows past and present like SEO 101, Affiliate Buds, The Shoe Money Show, The Daily Searchcast, and so much more. Download it from the iTunes App Store or the Google Play Store today. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly um, for the final segment of Cyber Law and Business Report. And um, I just want to send a hearty congratulations to Kevin Winston and his team at Digital LA for putting on a very fun and informative Silicon Beach Fest. Um, it was bigger than last year. And, um, you know, actually some sessions they actually get closed off um, for capacity reasons. So um, it's a good sign. It's a sign of a very healthy, vibrant um, starter community. And, um, you know, Kevin has a knack for throwing good parties as well. As um, as uh, Lori mentioned, it, it's quite it's a, an important skill here in um, Los Angeles, but still a valued skill nonetheless. Um, so it was a it was a very um, interesting um, weekend. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, I, I did talk to the the CEO of um, ROC in Santa Monica, and um, it was an interesting discussion because uh, what they're doing there really is interesting because they're creating a new model. It's a model in which the uh, a, a landlord mentor model, but also one that has different revenue streams. So aside from their rent, I mean, they're getting a lot of they're getting revenue from people that want to be associated with the space. As, as affiliate mentors, you know, law firms um, and VCs, um, you name it. And so they're creating additional revenue streams for the space. And um, ROC is a, a good company to follow because it, is, it has one of the largest facilities in the region. It's three stories high. It has a beautiful roof, rooftop. And I invite you to look at the blog and do some pictures of it there. And um, and so I think if, if anyone's going to make a mark in this space, it'll be them. And uh, I know other people are checking them out to see how they do it. And, you know, you could see this expand on a greater scale. Um, he's an interesting man. He, um, he actually had, did work in you know, traditional office space. He handled some of the uh, other uh, kind of uh, um, type of um, shared office space arrangements, you know, kind of the Regis type of companies. He had a company like that before, um, sold it, 
and was somewhat in retirement and decided this was the thing to do. Um, he also has a book out um, on, on the other side of the tracks. He actually did grow up on the other side of the tracks and came from somewhat of a rough and tumble background and kind of decided um, you know, he was going to prevail. And uh, he was a professional surfer and now a successful entrepreneur. Um, definitely an interesting and engaging gentleman. And I want to thank him for taking the time to talk with us last week. Um, also ran into um, somewhat of a pioneer in digital media, and that was Tony Winders. And uh, we had actually worked together for years at um, ValueClick um, back in the day, as a, a phrase often abused. But um, uh, Tony actually is uh, an early um, person in the space. He had one of the, the first digital advertising agencies um, ever. And so he... Um, it's interesting to get his perspective on where we are now. And he's working with a company called Gum Gum. And um, Gum Gum, what they're doing is actually um, similar to what Laurie was talking about in terms of video, is they're, you know, they're monetizing images, allowing you know, advertisements to go on images. And um, so I mentioned Tony. Tony was the co-founder of the world's first interactive agency, iAgency, in 1995. But um, Gum Gum has invented the image-based advertising category and has grown to become the largest premium in-image advertising platform for publishers and brands. And they're based in Santa Monica. Um, Tony actually himself um, was quite um, bullish about um, Silicon Beach. You know, he had kind of survived you know, a, a number of you know, booms and busts in this region, and he actually was quite optimistic about where this is going, in part because of what's driving it. It is convergence. It's, it's a market-driven um, you know, event, and that, that's really what seems to be going on. You know, These market forces are calling out for something that L.A. is particularly um, well-suited to deliver, and that is you know, con- convergent content. So um, it was great seeing Tony, and, um, and good luck with him with Gum Gum which also seems to be quite doing well. And so I would definitely check them out. They uh, have over 60 million unique visitors a month. So that was definitely an interesting um, period. We saw a lot of interesting people while we were there. And, um, but one other thing to bring up and um, is um, one other thing to to bring up is that um, we talked last time about the whole prison program. And um, I had a piece in Huffington Post last week on that issue. And one thing to keep in mind that in the, um, the Internet business community is the extent to which PRISM affects consumers' attitudes about the Internet. And um, what's happening on a certain level is that consumers are linking PRISM and big data. And so there's been a big spike in the number of downloads of um, privacy protection um, and anti-tracking software, um, also you know, and also a big spike in the, the use of um, a big spike in the use of excuse me in the downloading and purchases of George Orwell's 1984, which also is not a good sign. But um, there have been studies um, conducted that have shown that the internet has been responsible for about 20% of our GDP growth over the last five years. And so uh, protecting the growth of the internet is, is, is about protecting the growth of our economy. And so I think what we need to do at this point um, is we need to have a, a fair and honest debate on PRISM and have it discussed openly I mean, the, the you know the cat's out of the bag to an extent, and it doesn't mean we have to reveal everything. But um, let's draw the line. Let's you know, you know we've had some distance from nine eleven. Uh, we now want to safely um, talk about things, but based on actual you know evidence and experiences. You know, we're not reacting out of the heat of the passion of that awful day, and so um, you know let's have that discussion because that's what free societies do. And um, let's let's draw a line that we're all comfortable with because we're also seeing backlashes in overseas. You know, Europe is starting to, to to grumble about what we're doing, and so we want to be able to encourage a robust internet, and we want to be able to maintain our standing in the world um, as as leaders and as proponents of the internet as a tool for freedom. And so let's have that debate. 
And you know, if you want to go under a cone of silence and just revert to just a natural reflex over national security, well, understand that you may be undercutting our economic security by taking that approach. And so I, I think it's important that we continue this. I also think it's alarming that the degree to which Granted, um, there is some value in him having brought this issue to our attention. I'm referring to Snowden. But what Snowden has also done is he has met with and provided information to um, the Chinese government, and they've been publishing it through a series of reports, including extensive information about our own surveillance activities and espionage activities in China in terms of monitoring text and cellular communications. And you know that is you know, providing information to a foreign power, um, and that is you know, by definition espionage. And um, so, you know, people who want to uh, hail this gentleman as a hero, um, yeah, I think when you start doing that, when you start seeking refuge in China, and Russia, and Cuba, or elsewhere, um, you know, I think that um, invite entitles you to, um, you know, a very long-term invite to the orange jumpsuit fashion show. And, um, you know, I, I think he should be prosecuted. So, um, you know, just because you say that Snowden is wrong and should be prosecuted doesn't mean that the NSA or the U.S. government gets a pass on what we do. At the same time, if you object to what the U.S. government and the NSA is doing, um, you shouldn't be giving Snowden a pass for providing information to the Chinese and, or other U.S. rivals. So I think these are issues that should be debated and should be debated based on facts and fairly. And um, and so look for that um, to develop. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure we're going to have that. I think that you know there may be some grandstanding in Congress, but I'm not sure we're going to have hearings. But you know, the one area where you might see a satellite battle over this would be over privacy. And still, we still seem to be an impasse over privacy, an impasse over do not track. And um, you know, maybe if the business community could step forward and achieve a resolution, but I just don't see that happening. And I honestly think that this whole scandal is just going to make people dig in that much more. And um, so I think it's, it's important um, to remember just the, how all this interacts. You know, this is all interrelated. Um, the internet economy is an important part of our economy. What we do to the internet will affect our economy. And so make, having that understanding is very important. Now, just a, a brief word about the um, the Berlin event. Um, I actually had hoped, um, vainly somewhat, but um, I, had, I was trying to get in touch with the author of the, uh, the book called The Candy Bombers. His name's Andre Chernery. And um, it's, um, it's a book about the Berlin airlift, and it was very well received. And I actually think that that is one of the most heroic, heroic stories of the Cold War. And so if you want to get, become familiar with that era um, and what was achieved, I mean, basically through the Berlin airlift, um, the United States was able to um, win over a, a country that despised it for having vanquished it. And, um, and, and, and achieve, um, you know, a remarkable alliance that is still very strong today. In fact, I got to go to Germany courtesy of the German government through a program that was created in the 80s in light of um, protests over um, when President Reagan was trying to introduce intermediate missiles into Germany. Um, there were widespread protests throughout Germany and the German Ministry of Defense um, the defense minister was concerned about a fissure in the relationship. So he decided to bring over 15 young American leaders every year, um, team them with the German counterparts, and have them tour all over the country. And so that there's greater understanding between the two countries. And I'm proud I was able to go in 1994, shortly after the war fell, the wall fell. And I got to stand right where President Kennedy stood 50 years ago today. And look out um, on the the great city of Berlin, and um, so it's a very useful thing. And Berlin is a very vibrant city, um, and in part, um, large part, thanks to the heroism of those who participate in the Berlin airlift. And everyone likes to credit Ronald Reagan or Kennedy for their speeches at the Wall, but they wouldn't have happened without Truman. And so. Um, an important anniversary all the way around. Now, this is our last broadcast before the 4th of July, or I mean, last live new broadcast. And um, I just want to remind 
have a happy and safe July 4th. But also remember, we had Eleanor Holmes Norton on our show earlier this year, that there's a segment in our country, the nation's capital, where the fireworks will be the greatest, um, where where they have no vote in Congress. You know, there are members, people, veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars who, um, they had no say in those wars. Um, There are people affected today by the decisions in the Defense of Marriage Act and the um, Proposition 8 in D.C., um, who have no role in appointing those justices. They can't vote on confirmation. They have no vote in Congress whatsoever. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But just remember, um, the nation's capital does not have a right, doesn't have a vote in Congress. And there have been uh, international human rights bodies, the, the internet, um, a UN group and the Organization of American States have said this violates human rights treaties. So maybe someday we, we can address that. So as we celebrate the fourth um, let's remember, let's complete the American Revolution. Let's bring it to the nation's capital of all places. So um, that's all I have for you this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we'll be back after the 4th with some new content. Um, until then, have a happy and safe July 4th. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, broadcasting from the heart of a very um, vibrant Silicon Beach here. And uh, we will join- see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Courts adjourned. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.